Book One, Chapter One, Section Two of Tasker Jevons The Real Story by May Sinclair. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine. Book One, Chapter One, Section Two. She hadn't been in that room five minutes before she had created a situation, a situation that bristled with difficulty and danger. To begin with, she was so young. She couldn't have been then a day older than one and twenty. My first instinct, at least I suppose it was my first, was to send her away, to tell her that I was afraid she wouldn't do, that she was too unpunctual, and that I had found between 9.30 and 10 o'clock somebody who would suit me rather better. Any lie I could think of, so long as I got out of it, so long as I got her out of it. I don't know how it was she so contrived to impress me as being in for something, some impetuous adventure, some enterprise of enormous uncertainty. It may have been because she looked so well cared for and expensive. I do not understand these matters, but her furs and her tailor-made suit of dark cloth and the little black velvet hat with a fur tail in it were not the sort of clothes I had hitherto seen worn by typists seeking for employment, so that I doubted whether financial necessity could have driven her to my door or else i had a premonition she herself had none she was guileless and unaware of taking any risks and that i think was what disturbed me the situation bristled because she so ignored all difficulty or danger please don't imagine that i regarded myself as dangerous or even difficult or her as being in any vulgar sense out for adventure or as balancing herself even for amusement on any perilous edge it was not what she was out for it was as i say what she might possibly be in for and what she would in consequence let me in for too she made me feel responsible let me see i said it's typing isn't it i began raking through drawers and pigeonholes pretending to find her letter and the sample of her work that she had sent me though i knew all the time that they lay under my hand hidden by the blotter i wanted to give myself time I wanted to create the impression that I was old at this game, that I had to do with scores and scores of young women seeking employment, to make her realize the grim fact of competition, to saturate her with the idea that she was only one of scores and scores, all docketed and pigeonholed, any one of whom might have superior qualities, when it would be easy enough to say, I'm sorry, but the fact is I rather think I've engaged somebody already. Yes, she said, it's typing i can't do anything else but if you want shorthand i could learn it this gave me an opening well i'm sorry but the fact is did you like what i sent you that staggered me i hadn't allowed for her voice for a moment i wondered wildly what had she sent me oh oh yes i liked it but i began it again she leaned forward this time peering under my elbow the minx i'm convinced she knew the infernal thing was there i see she said you've lost it don't bother i can do another as long as you liked it that's all right i remember thinking violently it isn't all right it's all wrong and the more i like it if i do like it the worse it's going to be but all i said was you wrote from canterbury didn't you yes it was as if she challenged me with why not why shouldn't one write from canterbury and she stuck out her little chin as her eyes opened fire on me at close range you live there i said yes she corrected herself my people live there oh because in that case 
I I'm sorry, but the fact is I'm afraid I floundered and she watched me floundering. Then I plunged. I must have a typist who lives in London. And I might have added a typist who won't open fire on me at close range. But she said, I do. At least I'm going to tomorrow evening. I must have sat staring then quite a long time, not at her, but at one of Roland Simpson's sketches on the wall in front of me. She followed, but not quite accurately, the direction of my thoughts. If you want references, I can give you heaps. General Thesiger's my uncle. Why? Do you know him? I had ceased staring. He was not the general I knew, but she had spoken a sufficiently distinguished name. I said as much. Of course, lots of people know him, she went on, with a sort of radiant rapidity. And he knows lots of people. But I wouldn't write to him if I were you. He'll only be rude and ask you who the devil you are. There's my father, Canon Thesiger. It's no good writing to him either. It'll worry him. And there's... No, you mustn't bother the Archbishop. But there's the Dean. You might write to him. And there's Colonel Braithwaite and Mrs. Braithwaite. They're all dears. You might write to any of them. Only... I'd much rather you didn't. Why, I said. I thought I was entitled to ask why. Because, she said, it'll only mean a lot more bother for me. I believe I meditated on this before I asked her, why should it? Because it isn't easy to get away and earn your own living in this country, and they'll try, poor dears, to stop me, and they can't. If they don't, I said, are you sure it won't mean a lot of bother for them? not she said gravely if they're left alone and not worried it will of course if you go and write and stir them all up again i see for the moment then they are placated rather i wondered on what grounds we settled that last night then i said forgive my asking so many questions your people know you had this appointment with me her eyebrows took a little tortured twist in her pity for my stupidity oh no that would have upset them all for nothing it doesn't do to worry them with silly details you see they don't know anything about you it was exquisite the innocence with which she brought it out but i insisted that's rather my point you don't know anything about me either do you yes i do i knew she said the minute i came into the room if it comes to that you don't know anything about me i said i did i knew the minute she came into the room and she faced me with well then you see as if that settled it i suppose it did settle it i must have decided that since nobody could stop her and i wasn't after all a villain if she insisted on being somebody's typist she had very much better be mine you see she was so young i wanted to protect her not that there was anything helpless and pathetic about her anything except her innocence that appealed to me for protection on the contrary she struck me as a creature of high courage and defiance that of course was what constituted the danger she would insist on taking risks presently i heard myself saying yes the clothes canterbury i've got that but where am i to find you here she gave me an address that made me whistle i asked her if she knew anything anything whatever about the people of the house she said she didn't she had chosen it because it had a nice green door and there was an angora cat on the doorstep a large orange cat with green eyes had she actually taken rooms there no but she had chosen them i think she said because they had pretty chintz curtains she was going to take them now she had her hand on the door she was eager like a child that has got off at last after irritating delay 
i closed the door against her precipitate flight i said i thought we could settle that here over the telephone and i settled it having settled it i sent pavitt my man to get rooms for her that afternoon in hampstead with his sister-in-law in a house overlooking the heath i said i couldn't promise her chintz curtains and a green door and an orange angora cat with green eyes but i thought she would be fairly comfortable with mrs pavitt she was she told me a week later that the hampstead rooms had chintz curtains and there was a persian kitten too a blue persian with yellow eyes there was but i didn't tell her who put them there the kitten alone it was a purebred persian cost me three guineas and to this day she thinks that pavitt who brought it to her found it on the heath yet with all my precautions there was trouble when canterbury heard about my typist she had become my typist though i had never said a word about engaging her this of course was owing to the criminal secrecy with which viola conducted her affairs the minor canon wrote to me as if i had seduced or was about to seduce his daughter he had upset himself by rushing up to take her back to canterbury and finding that she wouldn't go with him i think in his excitement he ordered me to give her up he was a guileless and indeed a holy man and it's always the guileless and the holy people who raise the uncleanest scandals and mrs thesiger wrote and the general and the dean and i've no doubt the archbishop would have written too if i hadn't unearthed my general at his club and asked him if he knew the thesigers and found out that he did and implored him to arrange the horrid business for me as best he could i said he might tell them that if the girl had been left to them to look after her she would have got into rooms in i named the street and testified to the sinister character of the house and my general wrote and explained to the other general and to the minor canon what a thoroughly nice chap i was and how lamentably they had misunderstood what i believed he was pleased to call my relations with miss thesiger i'm not at all sure that he didn't even go farther and stick in a lot about my family and suggest that i was eligible to the extent that though my fortunes were still to make i had besides private means that enabled me to live in spite of journalism considerable expectations he knew an aunt of mine better it would seem than i did in short that i was a thoroughly nice chap and that the father of seven daughters five unmarried might do far worse than cultivate my acquaintance he must have gone quite as far as that or farther otherwise i couldn't account for the peculiarly tender note that the minor canon put into the letter of apology that he wrote me still less for the invitation i received by the same post from mrs thesiger to spend whitsuntide with them at canterbury viola had said she was going home for whitsuntide dear lady she was herself the daughter of a canon and she had lived all her life in a cathedral close and the atmosphere of a cathedral close may foster innocence but i cannot think it could have been entirely responsible for the kind of indiscretion mrs thesiger was guilty of neither do i think mrs thesiger was entirely responsible herself she is a nice woman and i am sure she couldn't have written as she did unless my friend the general had led her to believe that there was some sort of an understanding between me and viola but still for all she knew about me i might have been a villain not perhaps the gross villain the minor canon took me for but a villain in some profound and subtle way inappreciable to my friend the general well of course i didn't spend whitsuntide with the thesigers at canterbury it would have been sheer waste of viola for the worst of all this confounded rumpus 
was that it made me put off proposing to viola till she had forgotten all about it she would never have listened to me while the trail of the scandal still lingered in fact it was only the marked coldness of my manner to her just then that saved me it saved me to suffer i didn't know it was possible to suffer as she made me suffer i mean as they made me between them it didn't begin all at once it didn't begin really for another three months the end of those six months that jevons had given himself not even then not you may say for a whole year because he gave himself another six months as soon as he saw her he was always giving himself these periods of time as if with his mania for taking risks he was always having some prodigious bet on himself i never knew a man back his own enterprises as he did but until he turned up again i was happy i say i not we i don't know whether viola was happy or not though she looked it i had enough sense to see that her happiness if she was happy had nothing to do with me except in so far as i was the humble means under providence of the definite escape from canterbury for i very soon saw what had been the matter with her she was one of nine the youngest but one of seven daughters the minor canon had only been able to educate one of the seven properly because he had had a son at sandhurst and the other was still reading for the bar which is pretty expensive too if you're as amiably stupid as bertie thesiger i mention bertie because though he doesn't come into this story his stupidity and his amiability combined to tighten the situation considerably for viola and mrs thesiger had only been able to marry off two of her seven daughters of the others one the one who had been to girton was a high school teacher in canterbury and she lived at home one was a trained nurse and lived at home between cases that left three girls living continually at home and as viola put it eating their heads off these were the circumstances which viola with some omissions recited by way of justification for her revolt the fact being that she would have revolted anyway she was as i have said a creature of high courage and vitality and she was tied up much too tight in that cathedral clothes besides being much too well fed and she longed to do things to do them with her hands and with her head she was tired of playing tennis on the velvet lawns of the canon's gardens she was tired of calling on the canon's wives and talking to their daughters i am aware that canterbury is a garrison town and that other resources and other prospects i suppose were open to viola but viola was tired of talking to the garrison i think she would have been tired in any case even if the garrison hadn't been bespoken as it were by her unmarried sisters it is humanly speaking impossible that even in a garrison town seven sisters will all marry into the service as i fatuously supposed mrs thesiger must have realized when she asked me to canterbury it always bored viola to do what her family did and what her family just because they did it expected her to do and somehow in the long hours spent in the cathedral clothes she had acquired a taste for what she called literature what she innocently believed to be literature she was of an engaging innocence in this respect so that typing authors manuscripts appealed to her as a vocation that combined one of the highest forms of cerebral activity with i don't know what glamour of romantic adventure her enthusiasm her veneration for the written word made her an admirable typist but not all at once to say that she brought to her really horrible task a respect a meticulous devotion 
would give you no idea of the child's attitude it was a blind savage superstition that would have been exasperating if it had not been so heart-rending it cleared gradually until it became intelligent cooperation i trained her for six months i don't suppose i ever worked harder than i did in that first half year of her i mean my output was never greater for every blessed thing i wrote was an excuse for going to see her or for her coming to see me it was a perpetual journeying between my rooms in brunswick square and her rooms in hampstead overlooking the heath the more i wrote the more i saw of her i trained her for six months until jevons was ready for her when i tell you that she reverenced my performances you may imagine in what spirit she approached his for their meeting as for what happened afterwards i alone am responsible i brought it on myself by sheer quixotic fuss and interference with what after all wasn't my affair for little jevons most decidedly was not i might easily have let that sleeping dog lie he certainly did sleep in some obscure kennel of london he had slept ever since i had left him at the door of that restaurant in soho he slept almost for the six months he had then given himself and then before according to his own schedule he was quite due he appeared in the columns in my columns of the morning standard i had almost forgotten his existence but when i saw his name james tasker jevons stick out familiarly under the big headlines i remembered that that name on a card with an address had been lying in my left-hand writing-table drawer all this time i remembered that it was there because he had lent me half a crown and that i had never paid him then he came back to me he lived again i sent him a postal order and an apology i referred very handsomely as i thought to his cuckoo's nesting in my paper i informed him in fact that he did it better than i did and because i had worked myself up to a pitch of affability and generosity i asked him to come and see me at such time as he should be free and because also i was indifferent and lazy and didn't want to be seriously bothered with him instead of asking him to lunch or dine with me i said i was generally free myself between four and five between four and five was an hour when viola was very apt to come in in the instant that followed the posting of that letter i saw what i had done and i wrote to him the next day asking him to dinner in order that he should not come in between four and five for some weeks whenever i fancied he was about due at four o'clock i wrote and asked him to dinner that was how i fastened him to me there wasn't any sense in which he fastened on me i wasn't by any means his only hope i may say at once i was prostrated as any slave before his conversation end of book one chapter one section two recording by expatriate in bangor maine